0: Hello and welcome to From God to Us. In this podcast we are currently discussing the issue of election and free will. We have gone through an overview of the subject, we've taken time to look at various points of Calvinism and Arminianism, comparing and contrasting them. In our last episode we looked at the love of God and how that relates to our understanding of these issues. Today, we're going to look at another broad subject that is often brought into the discussion, and that is the sovereignty of God, but also the responsibility of mankind. So we're going to look at that and approach that issue a little bit today and hopefully draw some conclusions at the end. So let's look at the subject of the sovereignty of God. We say that God is sovereign, and we look in scriptures, and by sovereignty... The word sovereign means principal, chief, or supreme. A sovereign is one who enjoys full autonomy and control, allowing no rival immunities. When we refer to God, the sovereignty of God means that God is first or supreme in his position. He is the supreme being of the universe. It also means that he is almighty in power. He is supreme in power in the universe. Another way of stating the sovereignty of God is that God is in complete control of all things. God is the king, supreme ruler, and lawgiver of the entire universe. So that would be a summary of what we believe the scripture teaches us about the sovereignty of God. Here are some scriptures that we could refer to. Again, we're only going to look at a few. We won't look at every scripture, but these probably suffice to, to give us an idea of what the scripture is teaching us about the sovereignty of God. In First Chronicles twenty nine ten through 12, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. Praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Here, David clearly praises God for his ultimate power, his ultimate control, his ultimate authority over all things. He is the king. He is exalted over all things. He is sovereign over all. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And this is not referring just to an earthly kingdom. It's the throne in heaven. God is, oh, rules over all things. And there are many passages that refer to this. Psalm 135, five through 6. I know that the Lord is great, that our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on earth, in the seas and in all their depths. He is great. He is greater than any other so-called God, and he rules and acts as he pleases over everything. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 through 35. His dominion is an, an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? Daniel is declaring that God is sovereign. He is con- in control. He rules over all things. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy six fourteen through 16 Paul, writing there, says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which will bring about in his own time God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Even in the New Testament, Paul is saying, God, He's the ruler and the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's immortal. He's unapproachable. He is above all else. He is sovereign and in control of all things. The titles given to God, the names given to God throughout the Bible indicate His sovereignty or His control. He's called the Most High God. He's called God Almighty, a God who has all power, all might, sometimes we refer to this as to God's omnipotence, he has all power. Sovereign Lord is another term that is used of him. Lord God Almighty, again, the almighty power of God, and the terms Master or Lord, referring to his rule and authority. These are just some of the names and titles we find throughout the Scripture that refer to who God is and to his authority. So the sovereignty of God we understand to be that God has the authority to rule over all things. He can control all things. He can do anything he wants because he's almighty. He's all-powerful. He is in charge and he is in control. And so this is the nature of the sovereignty of God. But then comes in the question, well, what about human responsibility? If God is in control of all things. Do we have any responsibility? If God predetermines and controls everything, what is our responsibility? Obviously, throughout the scriptures, we find that man is held accountable. Man is responsible for his actions. Humans are responsible for their actions before God, and he holds them accountable for what they have done. God gives people the opportunity to to believe, or to obey, or to reject and disobey. And when they disobey, there's always consequences, and God holds people responsible for that. There is judgment, there is discipline, whatever is required by God, and so humans are held accountable for their actions, they're responsible. Even though God is sovereign and He is in control, He has given mankind a sense of responsibility to respond to Him in faith and obedience. Or if they reject, then there is consequences for that. Just some brief examples we see in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve were responsible for their choice to eat of the forbidden tree. God told them don't do it, but they did it, they were held responsible and accountable for that action. Cain was held responsible for his decision to kill Abel. That was a wrong thing and God held him accountable for that. Cain did that of his own free will. In the time of Noah, God saw that all mankind was sinful and brought judgment in the form of a worldwide flood on the earth. In Genesis 6, 1-8, we read these words. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days will be a 120 years The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures and all that moves on the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I read this passage because human beings had become very sinful and God held them accountable. Even though there was no law specifically at that time, human beings knew something of right and wrong. And they chose wrong, they chose evil, they had got to the point where they were exceedingly sinful all the time and God said, okay, I'll wipe them out. But there was one person who knew right, Noah. And Noah in the New Testament says, he, in Hebrews, he was a preacher of righteousness. He understood truth, he understood righteousness, and he preached and proclaimed it. And Noah and his family they were the only ones that were saved. So there was consequences for the sinfulness of mankind which brought judgment. There were also positive consequences for those who were righteous. God saved them and spared them. So we see this responsibility of human beings in the Old Testament that God holds them responsible. A couple of passages in the New Testament regarding those who have rejected God. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32 uh, Humans are held responsible for rejecting God. I'm going to read that whole passage, but it talks about how God has revealed himself, the nature of God, his invisible nature and power have been revealed to mankind and they have rejected it. They've rejected what they know of God and they made him into these creatures and then they left the natural use of their, the sexuality that God had given them. And ultimately it says that God turns them over to their own sinfulness. People are held accountable for their sinfulness. In Hebrews, speaking to believers, Hebrews twelve verse four through six, we read, In your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every one he accepts as his son. So even as believers, those who have accepted Christ, there is a consequence for our action. There is responsibility to live holy and righteously, and when we don't, we receive discipline. Now, this is not the same as judgment, but we do receive discipline because we have disobeyed. So again, all throughout Scripture, we find God's sovereignty, His authority, His power, His control, at the same time, there is man has been given a responsibility to respond to God. And God holds man accountable for his actions, whether good or bad. And so within the sovereignty of God, it seems that God has permitted a certain amount of actions of mankind that he has not predetermined and he holds us accountable for. So the question comes back to the sovereignty of God. Is God's control over mankind? How much control does God exert? How much does he predetermine that's going to happen if God is ultimately in control of all things and he makes some choices, at least before he ever creates anything? Does God predetermine the actions of men? Which brings the question in, does God predetermine sin? Or is that a choice of mankind that God responds to? Is God the author of sin? If he is sovereign over all things and completely in control and completely righteous, then why is there sin? And so these questions come into our thought about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. How much does God control? How much does he predetermine? If he predetermines everything, then he predetermines sin. Ultimately, that would make God sinful himself. So there's some sense that God is in control, And predetermined some things, but there's also the sense that God has given man responsibility to respond to the revelation that he has received. We understand from Scripture that sin did not originate with God and he does not cause anyone to sin. Sin originated with Satan and has passed on to man who has rebelled against God and chosen to sin. God doesn't tempt anyone to sin. James is very clear about that. In fact, In the book of James, it's our own sinfulness that tempts us and causes us to sin. Sin is the free will choice of human beings. God does not make anyone sin. God gives human beings the capacity to obey or disobey, to believe or to reject. Mankind is created in the image of God, and with that comes this ability to choose good or evil. And so that part of being in creating the image of God, is this free will, this ability to choose. Because humans have a sinful nature, though, they will eventually choose sin and rebel against God in some way because we have a nature that's been passed down to us from Adam. Paul makes that clear in Romans 5. We have a, a basically a sinful nature. Paul refers to it as the flesh, which we understand him referring to this nature that we have to sin. And so we all have that, thus we all sin. But God has predetermined certain things for his purpose, but he has not ordained or predetermined sin. This is a result of mankind in the choices that we make. Now, God can and does use sinful people for his purposes. We see that throughout the Old Testament. But he does not create them as sinful. He sees people who are sinful and can use them to carry out something that needs to happen, but he doesn't make them that way. He simply uses them. For instance, God used the Assyrian nation, who was a very evil nation, to bring judgment against the northern tribe Israel. He used the Babylonians, which was a very sinful nation, to bring judgment against the southern tribe, the southern nation Judah. But yet he held those sinful nations accountable for their actions. He used them to bring discipline and judgment, but he didn't cause them to be that way. There's a, there's a difference there. And this may be a little bit confusing, but we have to try to understand God's sovereignty in light of human responsibility. So he sometimes uses sinful people for his purpose. The sinfulness of mankind somehow falls under this sovereignty or control of God Yet, He doesn't cause us to sin. God allows people to sin and rebel based upon their ability to accept or reject God's will and His purpose. Ultimately, God is in control of everything. God will work out things according to His plan and His purpose. He's ultimately in control of human history. However, He does not control or predetermine every action of humans. If he did, he would predetermine sin, and it would make God sinful himself. He allows sin and evil, and he will ultimately accomplish his purpose to mankind in spite of the evil and sinfulness of mankind. He has a purpose for the universe. He has a purpose for the earth. He will ultimately bring that purpose about, and he works in spite of the sinfulness of mankind. So then we must ask the question, how does this relate to salvation? Does God control or predetermine who will be saved? Or does God save those who willingly choose to accept His grace? How much control does God exert over the salvation of mankind? And here's where we find a lot of difference between the Calvinists and the Arminians. Both the Calvinists and Arminians believe that salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. God is the one who saves through the death, shed blood, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Both sides would accept it's by grace through faith that we are saved. God does the saving. We do not save ourselves. Jesus saves, and we come to him by faith. The question becomes, though, does God predetermine those who will believe? Does he choose those who will believe? Is God so sovereign that he chooses who will believe and who will burn in hell forever? Or does he offer salvation to all and save only those who do believe? And that's the question that we have been talking about almost since the beginning and trying to understand this. I think I would conclude this by saying, the scriptures tell us that God is the ruler. He's control over all. He has the authority to do anything he wants. He has authority to change people. He has authority to use people. He has authority to determine when someone lives or dies. He has the authority to choose who will be saved if he wants. But also we see that there is a responsibility given to all human beings to respond in some way. God holds us accountable for the choices that we make, whether believer or unbeliever. The unbeliever who does not believe is held accountable and will be judged. The believer who trusts and accepts will receive salvation, but is also held accountable for discipline in his actions. Though God is sovereign, underneath his sovereignty There is this ability for mankind to act as he chooses. We're not sovereign ourselves, but God has allowed us to act in certain ways under his sovereign authority. He can intercede at any time. He can take out anyone he wants. He can raise up anyone he wants, but he can allow sin to happen. That's what happened in the time of Genesis, in the time of Noah. God had allowed sin to go on for a long time. He didn't predetermine it, Scripture even says he had pain in his heart. Some translations literally say God had pain in his heart because of the sinfulness of mankind. God allowed it. He didn't want it, but he allowed it to happen. And so God has given mankind this choice. Ultimately, in the end, God is the one who saves through Jesus Christ. He will save all those who come to Christ in faith. If you're a Calvinist, you'll say that faith comes because God chose them. If you're an Armenian, you'll say they came to Christ because they heard the offer and they accepted it and then God saved them. We have to understand that God is sovereign, yet mankind is held responsible for his actions underneath the sovereignty of God. He doesn't control all the actions of mankind. He could, but he doesn't. He obviously gives us the ability to choose good or bad. As we conclude again We conclude with the gospel, Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. His death, which paid for sins, his shed blood, which purchased us, and his glorious resurrection has provided the way of salvation to all who believe. I hope you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, and I hope you worship him for who he is and what he has done.